This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com Major funding for this Tanya class is provided by the Mettel Corporation. Additional funding is provided by Tanya students like you. Lessons in Tanya The Tanya of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi Taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg We are in the middle of letter 31, page 241 He's quoting the Zohar that the Shekhinah is ailing in the exile. That the Shekhinah is in pain, is sick. So to understand what it means that the Shekhinah is in pain, first we have to understand what is the source of, of illness. So he says health and the opposite, it all depends on the circulation of the blood. It says in the Torah, Dam hua nefesh. The blood is the nefesh, is the life, the energy. And the blood is pumped through the heart. The blood is pumped throughout the whole body. So what does the heart add? The heart, it's not just the muscle that pumps the blood throughout the whole body, but the heart also uh, um, oxygenates. It adds to the blood. The heart has the Ruach, a higher form of life. So when the blood is pumped through the heart, the heart adds to the blood that nefesh, that oxygen, it, it, it adds that higher form of life. And that's what circulates throughout the body, not just the blood, the oxygen of the blood, the whole... And that's a healthy person. When the blood circulates freely throughout the whole body, from the, from the top to the tip, Every part of you it flows smoothly. But if there is something blocking, there's a blockage, doesn't allow the blood to circulate, and it doesn't allow the life flow. The blood carries the life, the energy, and the higher form of life. So if there's a blockage anywhere, then the person becomes sick. So this is in the physical sense. So he says, so too, in the spiritual sense. That Hashem is like the heart. The Jewish people say, Tzur Levavi, Hashem, you're my heart. You're my rock, you're my heart. And the Jewish people like the organs. And the energy from the heart flows through the organs. And through the organs, through the whole universe, that is through the Jewish people. And that's where we left off. That the life of all the worlds, the life, the sustenance of all the worlds, really flows through the Jewish people. That's why all the attention on the Jew. Because the 70, 7 billion people, all the 70 nations of the world, know the truth. That their life literally comes from the Jew. That's why the obsession with the Jew. There are hardly any Jews in this world. And yet this obsession with the Jews and Israel, the Jew of the world, it makes no rational sense. 
I mean, you can stand on the rooftops and yell, you're the chosen people, you're 0.2% of the world population. Who, who even pays attention? Who would even pay attention? Who even notice? Who would care? But you see this obsession, universal obsession with the Jewish people. The only thing they get the UN to agree on is when it comes to Israel. The Jew has the ability to unite the world. There's nothing else. Nowhere else you see the consensus. The whole world unite against. It makes no sense. The third world, the first world, the left, the right, the atheist, the religious, the mystic, non-mystic, all, all this obsession with the Jews. It's not we who say we're the chosen people. Objectively speaking, the Jewish people are the heart, the center, the focus, because they know that they are life, consciously or subconsciously, that they are life and sustenance comes through the Jewish people. Hashem through the Jewish people. And it's anti-Semitism is the Gentiles' funny way, funny way of telling the Jew, get your act together. Because if you're all messed up and you don't have your act together, we are messed up because we don't have the vitality and the life that we need because something is clogged in the system because you don't have your act together. You're not acting like a Jew. You're not thinking like a Jew. You're not speaking like a Jew. You're not acting like a Jew. You're not doing what Hashem wants you to do. You're not following the code of Jewish law. You're not keeping the 613 mitzvot. You're not being Jewish. So if you don't have your act together, we're all messed up. So it's relentless. We're not going to stop, whether it's in the BDS form or this form or the other form or this shape. There's bad news and there's good news. The bad news is this focus and obsession with the Jews is not stopping anytime soon, ever. And the good news is it's up to us. The answer is not for Tel Aviv to become the gay capital of the world. The answer is, <laughs> the answer is that we Jews have to become divine and godly and Jewish. The healthier, the more vibrant, the more robust we are spiritually, the more godly we are, the more in tune and connected, the more the energy flows, the divine energy flows through us and within us. And the whole world is robust and the whole world is healthy and the whole world is alive. That's what we finished off last time, that Hashem created the world, He consulted with the Jewish people. That's why Jews are consultants. Every Jew gives you a card, they're consultants. Because <laughs> we're the original consultant. God consulted with us. <laughs> he consulted. The reason He created the world was for the Jewish people and the Torah. That's why He created the whole universe and seven billion people and all the stars and galaxies and high levels of consciousness and angels and all the myriads of worlds. Everything was for the purpose of, this is the motivation, this is why he created, this is the ultimate pleasure and goal and purpose. So this life energy flows through us. So the Jewish people are like the organs, and the Hashem is our heart. So that explains that the divine vitality of the Shekhinah is drawn down into the world, just like the blood is pumped from the heart to the organs. But it's a two-way street. That's where we left off. And now he's going to explain it's a two-way street. Yes, the uh, heart pumps its blood to all the organs. But the heart then needs the organs to send the blood back to the heart. And each part is critical. 
know, there's a beautiful story. When the Rebbe became Rebbe, officially assumed the leadership and accepted, publicly accepted the leadership at the first yard site anniversary of the passing of his father-in-law, Yud Shvat, 1951. So the Rebbe said a Hasidic discourse and he had a Fabrengen, it was a landmark Fabrengen, his first official Fabrengen. When he was done, he, le- he was leaving the synagogue. One of the Hasidim, his name was Rabbi Yudel Chitrik, he was older than the Rebbe. So he told the Rebbe, he says, Rebbe, you should know that the Hasidim are very happy with your Hasidic discourse. They like your Hasidic discourse. The Rebbe said, thank you. And then the Rebbe says, please give me a blessing. The Rebbe asked, the Hasid, Rabbi Yudel Chitrik, give me a blessing. So Rabbi Yudel Chitrik said to the Rebbe, without L'chaim? How could I, what kind of, what kind of blessing? The Rebbe says, you're right. Come with me to the room, to my room. So they went to the Rebbe's room together, private room. The Rebbe asked the secretary to bring some l'chaim. They poured each other l'chaim. They toasted each other l'chaim. And then the Rebbe says, no. He asked for a blessing, no. He says, Rebbe, my blessing to you is that everything that all the Rebbe's wanted to accomplish, the Rebbe, all the Rebbe's wanted to accomplish, should be fulfilled, implemented through you. The Rebbe says, Amen. Thank you so much. And I bless you that you should live a long life. This Rebbe Yudel Chitrik actually outlived the Rebbe. He passed away the ripe age of 106 was written up in the New York Times. <laughs> it was till, uh, till right before he passed away, he used to go to synagogue three times. They walk. <laughs> his learning partner was this old, other older chassid. Um, his name was Rabbi Itkin. And he was like, they called him the whippersnapper. He was only 98 years old. <laughs> this was his learning partner. But the Rebbe's blessing was fulfilled Actually, both blessings was fulfilled. <laughs> the Chassid's blessing to the Rebbe was fulfilled. The Rebbe did implement the wishes of all the Rebbe's. Look what he created, the Renaissance of Jewish life, 5,000 Chabad houses all over the world, hundreds of thousands of Jews who returned and reconnected, published over 7,000 Tanyas all over the world, communicating the essence of fulfilling the wish of Mashiach, to the directive of Mashiach to the Vashem to publicize teachings and actively bringing Mashiach and the Rebbe's blessing to him. But what's interesting about the story is that, you know, the Rebbe is like the, the king is like the heart of the Jewish people. And the heart pumps the blood to all the organs. But as much as we want and need the Rebbe's blessing, the Rebbe also wants and needs our blessing, our feedback. Because it's a two-way street. Yes, the heart pumps the blood. But the heart is very needy also. The heart needs the organs to send the blood back to the heart. So 
he's just as much he gives, but he's also receiving. And it's a two-way street. It's, it's that relationship. Because when is a Rebbe a Rebbe? When Hasidim are Hasidim. If Hasidim are not Hasidim, and the Rebbe is no Rebbe. When is the Rebbe alive? If his children are alive. When is Jacob alive? Torah says Jacob never died. He's alive. Why? And when? Because his children are alive. If his children are living his life and are living a Jewish life, as the Rebbe once said, that the point of all the Chabad houses is that he wants that any Chabad house in the world without the Rebbe can walk in and feel at home. The author of the Tanya and the author of the Code of Jewish Law will walk in and feel, I feel at home. It's a Jewish place. They follow the Torah to the letter of the law. They follow the halacha. They're Hasidic Jews. They're warm. They're passionate. They're on fire. They're loving. They're kind. They're good. Unconditional love. Love your fellow Jew like yourself, literally. It's a living, breathing Yiddishkeit. It's not some abstract intellectual exercise. It's alive. Thought, speech, and action 24-7. So the Rebbe, the heart, needs the organs just as much as the organs need the heart. It's a two-way street. And it is well known at the gate that every downfall of the fine life force and all affluence from the upper worlds to the worlds which they are lower than them. As stated in the Yitzhak the beginning of the uppermost levels of creation is wedged in their culmination in the nethermost part of the lowest level of creation, and their culmination is wedged in their beginning. In the writings of Luria, of blessed memory, the dual direction is referred to as the Or Yashir, direct light, or the Or reflected light, right reflected upwards from the lower level back to the upper. And it is also written in the Chayat, where advancing and retreating, and first proceeding away from their source and then retreating to it. The above verse refers to the Holy Chayat, creatures of the Divine Chariot. The Kabbalah explains that this is an allusion to the Divine Life Force of all worlds and created beings. It first emanates from its source and then it returns to it. Not only is the divine life force drawn from the Shekinah down into creation, but it also returns from created beings back to its original source. It's like the pulse of life. Life is you breathe in, you breathe out. It's, it's back and forth. The life force is drawn down from, from above, but then it returns back to its source. It's this constant dance. It flows outward and then it returns back inward. And this is what keeps it dynamic and this is what keeps it connected. Because the life force, the only way the life force can give life is because it's coming from a place that's totally beyond. It's like the soul, the soul is not about giving life. The reason why the soul is able to give life is precisely because it's not how the soul defines itself. It's not what the soul is about. The soul transcends giving life. The soul exists before you're born, exists after you die. The soul is an independent entity. It has nothing to do with giving you life. It's precisely because it's not defined by giving life. That's why it has the ability to give life. It's like the Jewish people. Our mission in life is to do tikkun olam. But the only reason we can do tikkun olam is because that's not what we're all about. We have a much deeper definition than tikkun olam. There's a place that, that the world ceases to exist. All that exists is God and the Jewish people. It's like a marriage. When you're intimate with your spouse, 
at that moment of intimacy, the world doesn't exist. There's nothing outside of that intimacy. There's nothing outside of that relationship. It's you exclusive, you alone, celebrating each other together, and the world just dissolves. It means absolutely nothing. It's precisely because the Jew is married to God, we're the chosen people, we're married to God, and the world and the whole universe and the angels and the high levels of consciousness and religion and spirituality dissolves. It means absolutely nothing. All that exists is the Jew and God. It's precisely because of that that we have the ability to do tikkun olam. That's really what Shabbat is all about. Six days a week, the energy flows outward. The creative energy, God is extending His creative energy. And then on Shabbat, it flows back inward. It's that dance. Because on Shabbat, the world ceases to exist. Shabbat, we have nothing to do with the world. We completely, we live in our own world. In the Shabbat island, we're just celebrating ourselves, our relationship. And it's precisely because of that, that we have the ability, after Shabbat, when we go back into the world, we have the ability to be such an influence and have such an effect on the world. So this is the, the divine energy. The reason why the divine energy is able to create something from nothing, it's only God can create something from nothing. Because God completely transcends the whole universe, the whole frame of reference of the universe. It's not what God is all about. You think this is what God is all about? God creates. The act of creation in God, God can't even find it in himself. It's so insignificant. And it's precisely because God is God. That's why he has the ability to astonishingly to create something from nothing. But this divine energy that flows from God, the reason why it's, it's divine, it's connected, has to remain connected to God. So that's why the divine energy has to return back to its source. And then it flows back, and then it returns back to its source. So that's the pulse of life. You breathe in, you breathe out. The pulse is constantly back and forth. This is the energy. This is the whole dance of life. And that's why it's able to create and sustain it. Thus, according to these words and this truth, which is impossible to explain properly in writing, Shina is referred to as the heart and the soul as organs. This teaches us that when all the souls are attached and bound together, the circulation and flow of the life force and of the effluence of the Shina to the worlds and from the worlds back to Shina is continuous. And, quote, their culmination is wedged in their beginning, thus binding and joining them all. All the souls and through them all the worlds to the one gods so that they will cleave to him. So this part is a very essential uh, ingredient, very important. All the organs have to be united because it's the same blood flows through all the organs. So it's only when all the organs are united together and they send the blood back to the heart the blood flows through all the organs, that they become receptive to then receive the flow from the heart. When the blood goes back to the heart, and then the heart pumps it back, and it becomes fully oxygenated, and it pumps it back to all the organs. So this openness, this receptivity, that they're receptive, that they're sending the blood back and they're receptive to, re- to they're sending it back to the heart and now they're receptive to receive it. It's that receptivity that enables them to be able to receive the blood. That's the essential ingredient. The unity. You know, the blood is the unifying factor between all the organs. It's the same blood that flows from the brain all the way down to to your toenail. Same blood circulates. The body is so, the organs are so unique, are so differentiated. 
but the blood is the same blood. So this is what the blood represents, the unity, the unity of all the organs. The sense that all the organs are united, are one. That the differentiation between the heart and the liver and every single organ, which is so unique, that differentiation is, in a sense, is really, it's just, it's not a real separation. Because they're all part of something larger, something greater. The whole is greater than the sum total of its parts. They don't sense each other as being a s- separate. There's no politics in the body. It's not, oh, I'm a heart and you're a liver. I'm right and you're left. I'm liberal and, and, you're, and you're conservative. There's absolutely no politics in the body. There's no right, there's no left, there's no liver, heart. Yes, I'm a heart and I'm a liver. And I'm a good heart and I'm a good liver. And I'm unique and I'm not trying to be like anyone else. <laughs> it's not where the women try to be the men, the men try to be like women. Everyone is very happy being who they are and celebrating who they are and being distinct and unique and, and differentiated. But at the same time, I am part of something much larger than myself. I'm not a heart, per se, a liver, per se. I'm part, we're all part of one organism, which is expressed in the blood, that, the same blood that flows throughout the whole body. So when they all stand united and they all stand uh, ready to receive and by them sending the blood back to the heart together because this blood has to flow without any obstruction. If there's one obstruction, it stops the whole system. If there's a clot, God forbid, you know, it stops the person who's sick, you get a heart attack, you get a stroke, God forbid. The blood has to flow smoothly throughout the whole body so that everyone is in this together. No, no isolation, there's no separation. And this is what opens the organism to be able to receive the blood and the life force that the heart adds to the blood. The, nef- the ruach, the oxygenation of the blood, the higher form of life that the blood, because now the organs are ready to receive. So it's a two way street, it's like a relationship, it's a two way street. Relationship is a two way street. You know, the Talmud says more than the suckling. Wants to suckle from the mother, the mother wants to suckle her offspring. But it also works the other way. Our teacher used to say it also works both ways. More than the student doesn't want to learn, <laughs> the teacher doesn't want to teach. <laughs> it's a relationship, it's a marriage, a relationship. If she is interested, she can evoke a response. But if there's no interest, it's a two-way street. If there's no interest, it's, it's, it has to be both ways. The receiver, the giver, it's, 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 a, it's, it's a dance. It's a, each one needs the other and each one is enhanced by the other. So when the organs are united and they're ready to receive, then the heart pumps and the heart is vibrant. The heart is healthy. The heart does, does its job. But if there's something wrong with the organs, and the organs are not united, or there's a clot, or there's a blockage, or, then it weakens the heart. Thus it is written, You are standing firm this day, all of you before the Lord, your God. The verse specifies all of you, i.e. a situation in which all Jews stand united together.
Moreover, it specifies before implying that this togetherness enables all Jews to relate to divinity at the level at which the name Havaya precedes and transcends its subsequent self-imposed descent to become Elokechem, the life force that empowers souls. This can take place only when there is a sense of unity between all the levels which the above verse goes on to enumerate your heads, i.e. those with the loftiest souls from the floor of your wood, i.e. those of more modest spiritual staff. This refers to actually the day of Rosh Hashanah. The day of Rosh Hashanah, Hashem says, you the Jewish people, Hayom, on that day, the Jewish people all standing together before your God, Hashem Elokeichem, then he enumerates the ten different levels of Jews. From the greatest, Rashechem, the brains of the Jewish people, all the way to like the soles of the feet, the Chotev the wood choppers. But he says, Kulchem, all of you together. So what he's, what he's describing is a very deep type of unity. You know, there's a, uni- there's a superficial unity. People join a party. They unify. They join a group. They join a club. So they have the same goals. It's like, it's like people are traveling on a boat together. You're trying to get from A destination A to destination B. So everyone chips in. They're all on the boat together and everyone divides the labor and they have a mission to cross the sea and to, get, to arrive safely at their destination. But it's a very superficial unity because everyone has a different purpose in mind. Why do you have to get here and why do you have to get there? could be a hundred different reasons. It doesn't matter. But in order to get there, we all need to get there. So we're joining forces. We're collaborating on this project. But it's a very superficial unity. So when you have a club, people get together and they join a club, or we're all Democrats or we're all Republicans. It's a very superficial unity. There's an idea that brings us together, and as a result, we're going to collaborate together and work together. But it's not a real unity. It's not an essential unity. Here the Torah emphasizes you are standing before Hashem Kulchem, all of you. And the analogy is the human body. The human body is a perfect example of real unity, the organism. Because even though each organ is so unique and couldn't be farther apart than the other organ, what does a liver have to do with a heart? It's like the exact opposite. What does one have to do with the other? And yet, every organ in the body needs all the other organs. If the brain wants to go to the library, it needs a healthy leg, a healthy foot to take it there. The brain can't go to the library. So every organ is dependent on the other organ, dependent on its unique function. So in that sense, that organ is a head and a leader because all the other organs are dependent on that individual organs. Everyone contributes, everyone plays an essential role, and everyone is significant. But then he's saying something even deeper than that, that it's not just that every organ, they get along with each other because every organ relies on the other and depends on, on each other and every organ contributes something unique. But kulchem, you're all together. Because ultimately, every organ senses that we're part of something larger than all of us put together. When we walk down the streets, we don't feel that we're a bag, a sack of organs and bones and veins and blood and 100 trillion cells. We just sense we're just one entity. I, one entity, one soul, one being. 
that expresses itself in 100 trillion cells and 248 limbs. But it, it, it's not the differentiation. It's the whole is greater than the sum total of its parts. And every organ expresses a unique aspect of that one indivisible soul. It's absolute unity. And that's why there's no politics in the human body. That's why every organ depends on each other and gets along with each other in their individuality. As every organ is being itself to a hilt, it's, the liver is being a liver, and the heart is being a heart, and every organ is unique and functions in its own unique way, and yet they're totally interrelated, interconnected, interwined with each other, totally dependent and relied on each other, and, and they strengthen each other, complement each other, precisely because, ultimately, essentially, they're one. It's not, I'm not a liver. I'm not an, a separate entity called a liver. I am part of one living entity. And I'm expressing one aspect of the soul. The liver expresses one aspect of the soul, the brain another aspect, the heart another aspect, etc. So that's why Hashem Kulchem, you're all standing together in an ultimate unity, an inherent unity, which transcends Hashem's name. Hashem, it transcends the name Elohim. This is the ultimate transcendent level. And that's a unity that you find amongst the Jewish people. That's why the unity amongst Jews is the envy of the world. Because Jews have an innate unity. Seven billion people, inherently, there's no innate unity. It's like seven billion universes. Every human being is a universe, a part. You know how far one star from the other star is? We look at a star, you know how far one star from the other star is? Light years ahead. Space is 99% empty. One star to the next is like light years distant. Every human being is like light years apart from a fellow human being. You can have some connections, but it's, in a way it's a very superficial connection. At the core, at the essence, every human being is a universe apart. The exception is the Jewish people. We are one. We are like one living organism. Not only every Jew that's alive today is one. We're one with every Jew that ever lived and with every Jew that will ever live. David Melech Israel, Chai. We feel closer to David Melech than some of our neighbors that we've been living next door for 30 years. He's more alive to us and more real to us and more plugged in and connected. Because it's one living organism. We're absolutely one. You walk into, a Jew travels anywhere in the world, he walks into any synagogue, doesn't matter, you're Svardi, Ashkenazi, you're religious, novelist, you immediately feel at home. Because we're connected, we're one. We're one people. In times of crisis, we see that. When Israel was under attack before the Six-Day War, and Israel has more parties than anyone in the world. We in America have two parties. Israel has over 30 parties. Every Jew in Israel has his own newspaper, <laughs> his own opinions, his own editorials, his own president, his own prime minister. Yeah, before the Six-Day War, when they thought, God forbid, another Holocaust, there was no politics, there was no right, there was no left. Jews became like one. They were, we were always one. It just emerged, that truth emerged. Three summers ago when Israel was attacked by these Nazi, Arab Nazis with over 4,000 missiles aimed at men, women, and children and shame on the BDS and all those who supported them because they themselves are Nazis. Anyone who could support 4,000 missiles against 6 million civilians is a Nazi at heart. And, um, and Jews united in Israel. They, they, there was no baloney, there was no politics. 90% of Israel, except a few radical left-wingers or so off the wall, 
But 90% of Israel was like one. They hadn't had such unity like since the Six-Day War. So moments of truth, you see that ultimate unity, so religious, not religious, right, left, all that nonsense just falls by the wayside and it exposes that innate, inherent, absolute unity. And the non-Jews know it. They know that Jews are united. There's a unity there. It's, it's, it's like brothers and sisters. If you knew that you discovered that you had a lost, a long-lost brother or sister, grew up in France, you don't speak the same language. You don't speak a word of French. You don't speak a word of English. You would feel closer to them than, than someone you went to school with since kindergarten. It's my blood. It's my brother. It's my sister. It's my family. It's me. So Jews are family. We're one. There's a unity. Hashem says, you're all standing in front of me. Kolchem, you're all together. You're all one. There's an absolute, inherent, innate unity that unites you all. And that's what triggers. This is what triggers the response. When Jews are united, and we're standing before Hashem, and we're open and we're receptive, and metaphorically, we send the blood back to the heart, then the heart pumps the blood back. Then we get the blessing, and we get the life, and we get the vitality, and we get the ruach, we get that extra spirit of life. And through us, the whole world comes alive. The whole world, the heart is healthy. The whole organism is healthy. The whole, when the Jewish people are united, miracles happen. Look at the Six-Day War. Jews, Jews were united, we got the Torah. Whenever Jews are united, the whole universe shifts and is aligned and all comes together and connects and like you hit it on the nail everything just that's the sign of health that means that the organism is robust the organism is healthy the organism is vibrant the organism is alive full of strength full of energy pumping with health with youthfulness and health it's when there's clots and there's blockages and one organ doesn't talk to another organ <laughs> And there's politics, and there's right, and there's left, and there's religious, and non-religious, and, and all these artificial labels that divide and separate, and, and the blood stops flowing. And the blood stops flowing, the heart gets sick. And then the, and then the Shekhinah is in pain. The Shekhinah is hurting. The Shekhinah is sick. It's in pain. It can manifest. It cannot flow because there's no unity. And the power of unity is such that the rabbis say that even if the Jewish people are not on the highest spiritual level, but wherever there's unity, there's blessing. Aleph Beit. Where there's Agdut, there's unity, there's Beit, there's Bracha. Where there's Gimel, there's Gezel, there's Thievery, and one partner doesn't trust the other partner, you end up with Dalut, impoverishment. We find when the Jewish people, even when they were uh, idol worshippers in the Tanakh, the generation of Achav, they were successful because there was unity. There was love between one person and the next. And even in, the, in a generation like King David, when the Jewish people were righteous, but there was no unity, they fell in battle. It turned into a disaster. That's the power of unity. There's unity, there's tremendous blessing. Because Hashem Echad, God is one. That is the essence of God. So if there's no unity, you can't have Hashem. Hashem can't be present. Hashem is not manifest. It's not possible. 
It's a contradiction in terms. The essence of Hashem is unity. So with His unity, if there's unity at home, if there's shalom bayit between husband and wife, there's unity between parents and children, there's unity in the synagogue, there's unity in the community, there's unity amongst the partners, there's unity amongst the Jewish people, then everything flows properly, everything is healthy, all the blessings are there. So this is the key ingredient. This is the most essential this will clarify the teaching of our sages of blessed memory that the destruction of the second temple and the fall of Israel into exile and the withdrawal of the Shekinah and its descent to Edom into a state of exile as it were. For when the Jews are exiled, so too is the Shekinah. All this was because of the sin of groundless hatred between one Jew and another and dissension between their hearts. May the merciful one save us. And this is why the Shekinah is referred to metaphorically as ailing in times of exile as quoted above. As for the phrases in the Amidah, he supports those who are fallen and heals those who are sick in plural form, all the references being made to the Shekinah. This alludes to all the organs. The plural form includes the souls, which are the organs of the Shekinah, inasmuch as they are animated by it. They, too, are an ailing health, and they, too, are supported and healed. So the Talmud asks, why is it the first temple, first temple was destroyed, the Jewish people were idolaters, adulterers, and murderers? The three cardinal sins? And yet the whole exile lasted 70 years? This exile, it's close to 2,000 years. More than half of our existence as a people since Abraham, we are in exile. It's so unnatural. The Jewish people were in Egypt for how long? 210 years. Babylonian exile, 70 years. We should be in exile for close to 2,000 years. I mean, the rabbis, 300 years after the destruction already, said all the deadlines have passed already. An exile should last 300 years? It's never happened before in Jewish history. Can you imagine what they would say today? Close to 2,000 years and we're still in exile. Why? The Jewish people no longer worshipped idols. There were no idolaters. They were even religious. So why this, this exile? The rabbis say because of sinat chinah. Because of hatred, causes hatred between one Jew and the next. And unfortunately, this, uh, this happens even amongst, maybe especially, but also amongst the religious Jews. You can be very religious and pious, but you can, if you don't have that egolessness, and you don't have that genuineness and that humility and sincerity and passion and compassion, then your religion could be a source of friction. You know, you're holier than thou and you judge someone else and you're greater than someone. So it becomes another barrier, uh, something to fuel your own ego instead of making you more humble and gentle and kind and compassionate to your fellow Jew. So because of this hatred, this is the cause of the exile. This is what leads us to the exile. And that's why the Shekhinah is in pain. Shekhinah is sick. It's, it's, the organism is sick. The heart is sick. Is in pain. Like you catch a heart attack. Heart, pa- heart pains. And the whole organism becomes sick. If the heart is not healthy, you can barely schlep your organ. You can barely walk. Your whole body becomes weak and unhealthy. So that's why we say in the prayer, Hashem should, he- should heal the chaylin, the, the sick in the plural, because both the Heart is sick. The Shekhinah is sick. The Shekhinah can't manifest itself, can't be manifest. And the organs are sick. 
So Hashem created the world, Hashem created like a Garden of Eden, where everything in the universe is aligned perfectly. If we Jews kept all 613 mitzvot, every Jew in the world kept, followed the mitzvah, everything would flow beautifully. There would be no obstruction. The world would literally be a Garden of Eden. It's like if everyone kept the law, the police department would be out of business. <laughs> they would have nothing to do. They would sit all day, twiddle their thumbs. There's not a single ticket to give. There's not a single arrest to make. There's no robberies. There's no murder. There's no rapes. There's no problems. So they, they, they would shrink. They would, they, you know, they would be unemployed. They have nothing to do. So if we create the problem... We create a whole universe of police and prosecution and, 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 and jail. And because if we're not keeping the law, if we're not following the law, we create that whole universe. It's up to us. If everyone followed the law, there wouldn't be no problem. So if and Hashem created the world, as the Kabbalists describe it, the, world is, the whole universe is perfect. If every Jew is doing the mitzvah, the divine energy flows and all the blessings flow and the world is blessed and the world is beautiful, perfect. But then we come and we get clever, we get smart. So in, in this island, this perfect island, where everything, everything, the ecosystem, everything is so perfectly harmonious and blends, and suddenly some, some pranksters decide to block the canal or block the ditch. So the water stops flowing. The water stops flowing, the trees stop growing. The trees stop growing, it, the birds die off. The birds die off, the insects go out of control. You, come, you visit the island a few years later, this perfect island, this paradise, this Shangri-La is suddenly a mess. Destroyed, it's a mess, it's ugly, it's, nothing is functioning. We created that mess. We Hashem created the world, it's perfect. Everything is perfect. You just have to follow the Torah and do the mitzvah. Everything is perfect. Don't be so clever and don't be so smart. Just do what Hashem wants you to do exactly what he wants, how he wants it, as spelled out very clearly, in great detail, in the code of Jewish law, this is Hashem's wish. You want to do what I want? This is what I want. You want to do what you want? Don't call it Judaism. It's not what I want. It's very nice, but it has nothing to do with Judaism. Judaism is you do what Hashem wants. And if you, if you do what Hashem wants, everything flows. All the blessings flow, everything flows. But then we come and we obstruct we create clots and we create blockages and, and it stops flowing. The blood stops flowing. It, doesn't, it can't flow. It and the key is, is ultimately when there's no unity, when one organ feels superior to the other organ, one Jew feels holier than thou to the other Jew, I can't talk to that Jew. Ha, he's too simple. I'm the head. I'm the brain. I'm so clever and smart. He's just a, a woodchopper. When the brain starts feeling arrogant and looks down at the toe, <laughs> then you know it's all over. This person is ripe for a heart attack, a stroke. This person is in such deep trouble. For all the cleverness of the brain, the brain is the biggest fool. When one Jew starts looking down at another Jew and starts uh, judging another Jew and starts, instead of sensing that we're all one and all absolutely one, inherently one, innately one. You are, you, you are I and I am you. And as he says here, when you are all together, when you're standing all together in Rosh Hashanah, you're standing the Hashem Elokech. 
the name Hashem, which transcends the Elokeichem, which transcends the level of Hashem channeling Himself into all the individual organs. Because the truth is that the Jewish people are not like 14 million people. We're like one soul divided into 40 million parts. Hashem is one. So I feel that I am I, and you feel that you are you, and naturally we're like universes apart. You are you and I am I. What connection do, could we possibly have? A person cares more about his toenail than millions of people dying in Africa. But the truth is, it's the same Hashem. It's, all there is is Hashem. So it's Hashem the way He's manifesting in you, and it's Hashem the way He's manifesting in me. It's Hashem. There's only one. So therefore, how can I look at the you are you and I am I? We're one. There's no separation. There's no artificial separation or artificial division. We're absolutely one. And we love each other as well, and we care for each other as well, and we're there for each other. Instead of one Jew looking down at another Jew and how can I talk to that Jew? I'm religious and he's not. And, and I am this and the other one is that. Absolutely no politics. So when Jews feel united and Jews feel like one, then the divine energy flows. We're, we're, we elevate ourselves. We're ready to receive. And that evokes the response of the heart. Then the heart pumps. Healthy heart pumps that vital blood, vital life, fully oxygenated for the nefesh and the ruach and the blood flows back, and the energy flows back, and then we send the blood back, and then you have a healthy organism. So we know the answer. We know the antidote to the exile. It's very simple. It's not rocket science. We want Mashiach to come, we know exactly what we have to do. The antidote is the opposite of sinat chinam, which is avat chinam, love. The same love that he's describing amongst the organisms that unity amongst the organisms. When every Jew feels that that Jew, yes, maybe he's the left, I'm the right, he's the liver, I'm the heart, what difference does it make? He's a toe, I'm the brain, what difference does it make? We're all one. It's the same blood. We're all one. We're all part of something larger than all of us put together. We're part of Hashem, we're connecting with Hashem. When there's a genuine love and respect for each and every Jew, and we feel that you are me and I am you, and we're all absolutely one, then the Shekhinah could be healed, the organs could be healed, and that's when we will be healed. That's when Mashiach comes. That is Mashiach. When Jews are one and Jews are unified. And that was the mistake of the students of Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Akiva proclaimed Bar Kochba to be Mashiach. Rabbi, Rabbi Akiva was not wrong. Bar Kochba did have the potential to be Mashiach, and he was on the way to being Mashiach. But when the students of Rabbi Akiva did not live up to that great potential. They didn't respect each other enough. They didn't display that level of unity that's necessary for to have a healthy organism which is characterizes the Mashiach. The whole project failed. And instead we ended up extending the destruction, delaying the destruction close to 2,000 years. This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. 
More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com.